Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for five days before. Is it five days or four days before Christmas? The 20th, 21st? I don't know. It depends on how you count. It's the 20th of December in any event. Happy Tuesday to you. Hope it's going well and is a good one for you. Action-packed program ahead of you. Just let me tell you and remind you for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is for you to sign up at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Support the program, all that good stuff. I've decided I just, I, I haven't gone, I could do one book, but next week the book contest will return because it's too late. And somebody just won Donald Trump's book, so there's that. My book will be back up against somebody next week. I just haven't had time to go down to the basement. It's been very, very busy, very, very busy time in preparation for Christmas, as you might uh, assume with two kids who are beginning to ask far too many questions about Santa, logistically, uh, appearance-wise, all sorts of stuff. I'll, I'll mention that in a bit. But uh, go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. I'll put up a couple pictures of the girls meeting Santa there. I'll make them public so everybody can see them. And while you're there, sign up. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.Locals.com. Check them out. Sign up. Become a member of the community, as they say. Much appreciated. Very much so. All right. Let's get started. There is a lot going on in the world. There is just uh, some unbelievable audio. Of the I don't, Where do you start here? Do, do I want to start with... Yeah, I'll start with Joe Biden. Because this this man is not right. This man is not right in the head. Or he's evil <laughs> i don't you can decide which one he is but he's one of the two because he uh he constantly we've covered time and time again how he lies about his own biography he lies about everything but he lies about his own biography more than just about anybody i've ever seen and he does so shamelessly and he does so without concern of being caught the only way to either he's completely senile, which is entirely possible, or he is just so, I don't know, he, he, he's got no F's left to give, I guess you could say. He just he knows that no matter what he does, it's like it's like if you worked in a store. Let's just say they say they sell it's a candy store or whatever. And the owner's kid comes in all the time. Now, how much chance do you think you have of stopping the owner's kid from taking all the candy, taking whatever candy they want? Say that Hershey's bars are the hottest thing in the world right now. I know that we're talking like 100 years ago, but Hershey bars are the hottest thing in the world right now. You're having, or let's make it Wonka bars. They're giving out the golden ticket, and you got a new shipment of Wonka bars in there. And the owner's kid comes walking in, and he goes, oh, Wonka bars. And he just starts ripping them open, seeing if there's any uh, golden ticket in there. Now chucking it down on the floor, opening another one, chucking it down on the floor, stuffing some in his pockets, throwing some to his 
circle of running buddies. I mean, what chance do you have of stopping the owner's kid from doing that? Next to none, especially, I mean, if the kid's doing that, he's obviously been overindulged by his parents. So he's like Augustus Gloop. So if you sit there and you say, hey, uh, owner, your kid is ripping apart all the, the Wonka bars and that's all anybody wants because of the possibility of a golden ticket. What do you think that Daddy Gloop is going to do or say? Nothing, right? He's not going to do anything about it. Maybe at a minimum, you go, Augustus, maybe you should. And you go, shut up, Dad. And that's it. So that's Joe Biden with the media. He knows that nobody in the media is going to. He's Augustus Gloop, and the media is his overindulgent dad. They're not going to say, hey, stop ripping. Once you rip open a candy bar, nobody wants the Wonka chocolate. It's about the, the golden ticket. Knock it off. We're selling these things. He doesn't care. So when Joe Biden has the opportunity to lie, well, his choices are to lie and be somewhat interesting or to tell the truth and be completely boring. Or he could, I don't know, he has he's led an interesting enough life that he should be able to be somewhat interesting. But he has politician-itis. Now, what is politician-itis as I make this up on the fly? If you've ever seen a politician, Bill Clinton was the king of this. Bill Clinton was really good at this. Barack Obama was terrible at it, but it didn't matter. The The people he was terrible at it, too, still viewed him as cool, so they didn't care. They were brainwashed into thinking he was super cool. But the um, Bill Clinton politician-itis, well, Bill Clinton wanted to identify with whoever he was talking to. I feel your pain, that sort of thing. Like, oh. I don't know what it's like to be you, but I feel your pain. Oh, and I bite my lip, and I'm I'm starting to well up just a little bit, oh, getting a little verklempt and all that. That was that is what politicians strive for. Bill Clinton was a natural at it. It's a it's in the in the real world, it's called a BS artist, but in political world, it's 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 called identifying with the audience, connecting with them. Well, Joe Biden is desperate to connect with these people. But the difference is, I don't know. Look, you can decide for yourself whether or not you thought Bill Clinton ever meant it. But Bill Clinton sure gave the impression of meaning it. Joe Biden not only doesn't mean it, he is not good at giving the impression that he means it either. He's not good at faking it. And so he sits there and he just, instead of trying to be, Bill Clinton would give you this, oh, He'd make it about the person. Oh, I know. I feel your pain. Come over here. Give you a hug. Slip in my phone number if you're attractive. Whatever. That was how he... I sound more like W there than, than Bill. But you get the idea. He made it about the person. Joe Biden makes it about himself. Joe Biden makes it about himself no matter what. So when he's talking to a group of Gold Star families... He doesn't say, tell me about your child that was lost. Tell me about it. It's horrible. I know, I know, I know. He says, I know what you're going through. My son, Bo, died, you know, eight years after serving in Iraq. And it was just like he died in Iraq. He died of something unrelated to his service in Iraq. But I know exactly what it's like to have somebody die in service of the military, even Bo, though Bo was not in the military and uh, he was attorney general of Delaware and whatever, but it's the exact same thing as you're going through because your child was murdered by terrorists outside the gates of the Kabul airport. You know, that sort of thing. It's wildly disingenuous, and it's about him. It is not 
about the victims. It is not about the families. It is not about the people suffering. It is about him. That's what Joe Biden gets wildly wrong about everything. And it's a sign of absolute narcissism that can only really come from having an entire life led and lived in the political realm where you've never had to really do anything based on merit. You've never had to do anything based on your skills or abilities. You've just had to convince a bunch of people from Delaware. And once he got ingratiated to the uh, the power structure there in Delaware, he was set. In the Democratic Party, he was set. He didn't really have to work very hard. He loved the adulation. The adulation was basically people sucking up to him because they wanted him to get them things from Washington, D.C., which he was more than happy to do. That perverts your worldview. So when you're talking to a group of veterans, you can lie to them. Lie to them. Most people, even Bill Clinton, I would say, who famously wrote in his draft-dodging letter that he loathed the military. As an adult, Bill Clinton had enough respect for the military not to lie to them, not to claim hero status, not to try and uh, create an, a myth around himself. Joe Biden, who never served in the military, they say it was because he had asthma. Horrible. Oh, Joe Biden has horrible. Have you ever heard of Joe Biden having an asthma attack? Have you ever heard a story about Joe Biden having an asthma attack? Not, you know, currently, but even as a child? No. What do you hear about Joe Biden when he talks about his youth? Oh, I was a star football player. How many star football players do you know who get college scholarships, according to Joe, and play their freshman year? Um, how many of them do you know with severe asthma so bad that they are incapable of military service? I don't think there are many. I don't think there are many. Joe might, in fact, be the only one. Again, like I say, there is what Joe Biden tells us about his life, and there's reality. Joe Biden was uh, speaking to a group of veterans. It really is amazing to watch this president of the United States work in, I'm reminded of, because we watched over the weekend, we watched the Christmas uh, story sequel. Which is actually pretty good. It's a Christmas story, Christmas. I thought it was, first when I heard about it, I thought it was going to be like a documentary making up. But it wasn't. It's a, a sequel set in the early 70s, I think it was. It's actually pretty good. I mean, the acting is what you'd expect the acting to be. But it's got everybody except for the mother and the father, because the father passed away in real life. The mother didn't want to be in it or whatever, couldn't be in it. Whatever, they had a new woman playing the, the woman from Airplane playing the... Uh, the actor, or the mother. Uh, but it's a, it's a really good movie. And uh, it's, it's worth your time. And you, you sit, I forget why I even went off on this tangent. But it's well worth your time checking out. And you're sitting there and you see this... I was checking my Twitter feed, and then I saw this story. I was like, what the hell is this? Joe Biden's Uncle Frank... Joe Biden's Uncle Frank. Like, well, okay, Joe Biden's Uncle Frank what? I never heard of Joe Biden's Uncle Frank before. Not that I've been, you know, writing a biography of Joe Biden, but his Uncle Frank. And uh, so we get this thing where Joe Biden's speaking to these veterans, and he tells a story really heroic 
of his uncle Frank. That's the weird thing. Biden's stories either make him heroic. I was arrested trying to fight apartheid going to see Nelson Mandela, even though he wasn't, never arrested. The story's all garbage. But his story, in his story, he's a hero. Or it makes somebody around him a hero. My son, Bo, died in Iraq. No, he didn't. He died like almost a decade after having served in Iraq of brain cancer. Horrible situation, but it was not like he was you know, killed in an ambush. And then we bring in Uncle Frank. I don't know about Joe Biden's Uncle Frank, but what you're about, Joe Biden tries to tell people about his uncle. Listen to Joe Biden tell his lie about Uncle Frank and the Purple Heart. You know, I, uh, my dad, when I got elected vice president, he said, Joey, Uncle Frank fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was not feeling very well now, not because of the Battle of the Bulge, but he said, and he won the Purple Heart. And he never received it. He never, he never got it. Do you think you could help him get it? It will surprise him. So he got him the Purple Heart. He had won it in the Battle of the Bulge. And I remember he came over to the house, and I came out, and he said, present it to him. Okay, we had the family there. I said, Uncle Frank, you won this, and I went to peace. He said, I don't want the damn thing. I'm serious. He said, I don't want it. I said, what's the matter, Uncle Frank? You earned it. He said, yeah, but the others died. The others died. I lived. I don't want it. I don't want it. I know it's a, it's a movie. Uncle Frank sounds like an absolute hero. He may well have been personally responsible for holding back the Nazi onslaught, the Battle of the Bulge, holding Bastogne and thereby thwarting the Nazi attempt to regain its footing and bringing about the end of the war single-handedly. That's Uncle Frank. The only problem is it's its a lie. Pretty much, it seems like every aspect of that is a lie. I'm not really sure what... Okay, so the New York Post had... We'll go through it piece by piece. New York Post has a piece... Um, entitled uh, Biden claims Uncle Frank won Purple Heart, but story doesn't add up. First and foremost, let's get this out of the way. Joe Biden was elected vice president. Let's, let's listen to the beginning of this again, the start, because it's filled with doozies. You know, I, uh, my dad, when I got elected vice president, he said, Joey, Uncle Frank fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was not feeling very well now, not because of the Battle of the Bulge, but he said, and he won the Purple Heart. And he never received it. He never he never got it. Do you think you could help him get it? It will surprise him. He never got it. First of all, when I was elected vice president, his dad called him to tell him about his uncle. Never got the Purple Heart. Can we surprise the uncle with the Purple Heart? Joe Biden was elected vice president in 2008. Uncle Frank died in 1999. Uncle Frank died in 1999. You really want to surprise somebody. Pin a medal on their dead body. Dig them up, exhume them, and pin a medal on their dead body. I still don't think you're going to surprise them because they're dead. But what's even more bizarre is Joe Biden's father died in 2002. Joe Biden's father never lived to see him elected vice president either. So either Joe Biden has one of the best cell phones in the world able to receive phone calls from beyond the grave because Joe has 
talked about talking to dead people many, many times. Or he's lying. Or he's confused. Now, all of the stories, including this story in the New York Post, mention that you know Uncle Frank died in 1999. They don't mention that uh, his dad died in 2008. They don't. I'm not even entirely sure, let's see, if he served in the Battle of the Bulge. I'm not sure. I don't know. There is a picture of his gravestone, Frank H. Biden. He was a sergeant in the Army, served in World War II, died November 28th, 1999. That's all it says. They don't doesn't say Battle of the Bulge. It's one of those things. His obituary. They have a screen cap. They have a picture of his obituary from 1999. Doesn't mention anything about the Battle of the Bulge. While veterans don't necessarily talk about and didn't necessarily talk about the battles in which they fought, and they certainly didn't want to be a party to that, they... uh, They were certainly remembered as such. So then what the hell is going on? Well, talk about the rest of what Joe Biden said. The part two of the lie. The original lie is he's getting phone calls from beyond the grave about awarding medals to people who are already dead and then surprising them with a family gathering. That again, be a huge family gathering and a bit of news. If Joe Biden knows something about, look, if Joe Biden can call dead people on his cell phone, I want to borrow it because I got some people I'd like to talk to. But that wasn't all the BS that Joe Biden had to say continues. So I got him the Purple Heart. He had won it in the Battle of the Bulge. And I remember he came over to the house and I came out and he said, present it to him. Okay, we had the family there. I said, Uncle Frank, you won this and I went to peace. He said, I don't want the damn thing. I'm serious. He said, I don't want it. I said, what's the matter, Uncle Frank? You earned it. He said, yeah, but the others died. The others died. I lived. I don't want it. I don't want it. I heroic Uncle Frank. And Uncle Frank is so heroic and therefore by proxy Biden is related to heroic people. And don't you think of him as heroic? All the selflessness of the Biden family. The problem is that part of the story is a lie too. Because, well, Joe Biden never presented his, first of all, you don't win a purple heart. You earn a purple heart. The idea that you won, hey, congratulations, Ed McMahon and Dick Clark are out on the front porch with the prize patrol. You got a purple heart. It's not how it works. And uh, the problem isn't the existence of Uncle Frank that he ever existed. He did exist. He apparently did serve in World War II. Whether or not he served in the Battle of the Bulge is unknown. But the story itself is the story that Joe Biden has told before. The person being presented, the hero soldier being presented with the Purple Heart and saying, telling Joe Biden they don't want it because the others died. They died. Problem is, when Joe Biden told the story before, he wasn't talking about his Uncle Frank. He was talking about other people. He wasn't, in fact, even talking about World War II. He was talking about Iraq and Afghanistan. I kid you not. Washington Post, August 29th, 2019. Headline, as he campaigns for president, Joe Biden tells a moving but false 
war story. What? Joe Biden painted a vivid scene for the 400 people packed into a college meeting hall. Four-star general had asked the then-vice president to travel to Kandar province in Afghanistan, a dangerous foray into godforsaken country, to recognize the remarkable heroism of a Navy captain. Some told him it was too risky, but Biden said he brushed off their concerns. Quote, we can't lose a vice president, he said. We can't lose many more of these kids. Not a joke. The Navy Captain Biden recalled Friday night had rappelled down a 60-foot ravine under fire and retrieved the body of an American comrade carrying him on his back. Now the general wanted Biden to pin a silver star on the American hero who, despite his bravery, felt like a failure. Quote, this is Biden speaking, quote, he said, sir, I don't want the damn thing. Don't pin it on me, sir. Please, sir, do not do that. He died. He died. End quote. The room was silent. Quote Biden again. That's the God's truth. My word is a Biden. End quote. Oh, wow, we've got his word is a Biden. Then the Washington Post, back when they didn't want Joe Biden to be the nominee, because he was too old and senile, writes, Except almost every detail of the story appears to be incorrect. Based on interviews with more than a dozen U.S. troops and their commanders and Biden campaign officials, it appears as though the former vice president has jumbled elements of at least three actual events into one story of bravery, compassion, and regret that never happened. Now, it's kind of funny. Oh, it's a, there's, their excuse is he's not lying. He's just senile and confused. Oh, okay, well, that's better then. You can go to PolitiFact. Again, PolitiFact, back when they used to fact-check Joe Biden because they wanted other Democrats to be the nominee. On September 4th, 2019, the, uh, let's see, Joe Biden says that as vice president, he pinned a silver star on a Navy captain in Afghanistan who had carried a mortally wounded comrade out of a ravine and resisted receiving a medal for his actions. They went into the events and declared them to be mostly false as well. Mostly false is a nice way of saying somebody's lying. <laughs> and so you're sitting there and you're going, well, what in the hell? Now suddenly it's about his uncle and the Battle of the Bulge. He's brought it more closely to home. Now, is that because they've fact-checked his BS story about pitting the medal on the soldier in Afghanistan, shipping him off to some remote area, shipping him off to, hey, let's risk the, uh, the vice president's life by shipping him off to a remote area of Afghanistan so he can pin a medal on a guy who doesn't want it. If I'm the vice president, I might think this guy doesn't want, these people don't want me to live. But instead, no, the way that PolitiFact frames it is a history of jumbled events. It's jumbled events. Biden has told similar stories in the past, but with variations. For instance, during a visit in Australia as vice president on July 17th, 2016, Biden recalled pinning a silver star on a Navy captain at, quote, a forward operating base up in the valley. The captain, Biden said, uh, jumped off the edge of a mountain where the forward operating base was with only six people defending it, climbed down about 200 feet, put a kid on his back and had been wounded, carried him up there, blah, 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 said he don't want the medal again 
not true, didn't happen. Later that year, while stumping for U.S. Senate candidate Jason Kander, Biden told yet another version of the story. He referenced both the cliffside heroism and the burning Humvee, suggesting that both medal recipients tried to refuse the medal, saying they didn't deserve it. Quote, that's the God's truth, Biden said. <laughs> now, here's their ruling. This is how he managed. This is why this is enabling. Right here. This is the same thing as putting a pile of cocaine on a coffee table in front of Hunter and going, you know what? I'm going to go take a shower. I'll be back in like a half an hour. And just seeing how that works. That's, that's enabling to the nth degree. They're ruling. Biden said that as vice president, he pinned a silver star and a Navy captain in Afghanistan. Biden said the soldier pulled a mortally wounded comrade out of a ravine and later resisted receiving a medal. Biden did pin a medal on a soldier who felt he didn't deserve a medal, and it was in Afghanistan. From there, several details are wrong. The soldier, blah, 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 blah. The emotional element of a soldier who feels his medal is unwarranted is accurate, but Biden embellishes the tale with details to give the story an unimpeachable ring of truth. The facts don't back that up. He's lying. This is a long way to say he's lying. He's full of crap. But then we know that. Uh, you have my word as a Biden. We've got to move on from our idiot uh, president. God, it's just uh, stolen. It's stolen valor by proxy, what Joe Biden does. He's done really nothing of note of his life, in his life. Let's be honest. I mean, his accomplishments are getting elected to things, not what he's done with those things. The closest, I mean, I guess, used to be the crime bill. Now he's sort of bragging about all of the things that are causing inflation. I'm not sure why you brag about that, but when you're insulated from it and you're filthy rich and it doesn't matter, why not? Drop the mic and go, this is my accomplishment. <laughs> not leave. He spent the weekend in Delaware. He's going to come back. The, uh, the story is that the Biden administration is preparing this week to tout the successes of the Biden administration before Christmas. Yeah, it's a very short thing, but hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> you let him do it. Meanwhile, there are other idiot leftists out there that are simply being themselves. Themselves and new and creative and stupid and confusing ways where you sit there and you just think, is, what, is, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with people who, like the governor of Oregon, saying everybody on death row, everybody's sentence is commuted to life imprisonment. Really? Life imprisonment? Yes, life imprisonment. Because she believes she knows best forever. She's on the way out the door. They just elected a new governor. She could easily say, uh, I'll leave this up to the next governor. There was already a moratorium on it, but there's a possibility that the next governor might not do what the outgoing governor wants to do so she just goes hey everybody let's get rid of the death penalty not because any of these people have shown any remorse not because any of these people have uh, confessed shown contrition shown anything it's because she doesn't want the she thinks the death penalty is immoral i think that murdering people is immoral and uh, i am of uh, really one i think that the death penalty does in fact deter people doing it. Maybe not other people from doing it, but it certainly deters repeat offenders. It has a 100% success rate when it comes to people 
can, uh, who have the death penalty executed upon them. They have not gone on to commit any more crimes whatsoever, which is a pretty good deal. Because most, you know, the recidivism rate of people who are just sent to prison, not very, it's, it's pretty high. But for the death penalty and those who have it carried out upon them, 100% success rate. Anyway, I want to uh, talk to you, Martha Raddatz, I, I don't understand. Martha Raddatz must have the worst agent in all of media. She is the face of this week. Every week she's on this week with George Stephanopoulos. She's hosting this. She hosts this week with George Stephanopoulos. She travels the country to do interviews for this week with George Stephanopoulos. George Stephanopoulos is seemingly on the show, I don't know, maybe 25% of the time. But it's not this week with Martha Raddatz. She sat down for an interview with Texas Governor Greg Abbott to talk about the border. Now, there is... There's your moment right there. I tell you, it's a, a shock that they're covering the border. Unless you think about it. Once you think about it, it makes sense. They're covering the border right now because the uh, Title 42 is going away. There's going to be a crush of illegal aliens at the southern border. The Biden administration has no plan, nor do they have any concern about the crush of illegal aliens that are just waiting across the border in Mexico, ready to come marching across as Title 42 goes away, if they don't come up with some sort of miracle court blocking of that. <clears throat> so they can't ignore, essentially they can't ignore it any longer. The media can't. So they're doing some reporting on it. If they really wanted to have an impact, because you know I don't think they should want to have an impact, but if they really wanted to cover the story they really wanted to do honest journalism, they would have been covering this story for a very long period of time so as to apply some pressure to the Biden administration to do something. It's telling that this hasn't become a story until last week. It hasn't become a story until last week because they don't really want to report on it. It's just reaching the point of critical mass where what's about to happen on the southern border is going to be too big that they won't be able to ignore it. So they need to get out in front of it a little bit. They're in favor of the open borders in the media. They have to pretend that they're honest brokers, though. So Martha Raddatz was dispatched to Texas to talk to the governor of Texas. Now, what's amazing about this interview is she finds a way to blame Republicans for the border search. She finds a way to blame Republicans who have had no power in Washington, D.C. for the past two years for what's going on at the southern border, for the influx, for the huge crush of illegal aliens. It's Republicans' faults, you see. They couldn't do anything about it. Now, Martha Raddatz might not be aware of the lawsuit brought by the Biden administration against the state of Arizona, during the Biden administration when, or, or I mean the Obama administration, during the Obama administration when President Obama had decreed that they would no longer enforce the border, essentially. The state of Arizona under Governor then Governor Jan Brewer said, well, to hell with it. We'll enforce the law. We'll, if you're not going to enforce federal law and our sovereignty, we'll do it because we're being overrun. The Obama administration immediately sued, saying, you have no right to enforce federal law. You're a state. You can't enforce federal law. Who the hell do you think you are? We'll enforce federal law. 
you can't, even though the policy of the federal government was to not enforce federal law. Square that circle. You really can't. But that's how they are. The Obama administration won that. The Obama administration won that in the Supreme Court. You can't enforce, states can't enforce federal law. It's weird, even when, I mean, what's the point of federal law? The federal law, the federal government says, well, this is the law, but we're not going to do it. We really should have seen this coming with these prosecutors looking at laws and going, I'm not going to enforce. I don't like that law. I don't like that law. You're an unelected or you're an elected, but you're a bureaucrat, essentially. Your job is to enforce the law. It's not to interpret. You get no vote on legislation. You get no vote on what city councils pass or anything like that. You don't get to choose to do it. But as long as city councils go, well, we're going to let them decide what the law is instead of, I don't know, passing condemnation, impeaching, removing these people, getting the governor to fire these problems. Instead of doing anything, they're allowing it. So you can sit there and you can be mad at the Larry Krasners of the world and the uh, Gascones out in Los Angeles. And you can say, this is ridiculous what they're doing. But uh, the city council's not doing anything about it. The governors aren't doing anything about it. They're enabling it. Those people could stop it. So, you know, sorry. Anyway, back to the issue at hand. The federal government is no longer enforcing federal law. We have an open border down on the southern border. This is news to Martha Raddatz, seemingly. And she tries to blame... Not the people who've opened the border, but Republicans, specifically Greg Abbott, Donald Trump, and Ron DeSantis. What you're about to hear is just her question. The answer is irrelevant, although I thought Abbott handled it very poorly. He should have, aside from vomiting all over her for the question, he should have said, what in the hell are you talking about? And really ripped her apart for that. But he doesn't do that. So it's not worth saying. He addresses the question as if it's serious. But this is a lot like blaming the ice cream man in the neighborhood for the Tate Lobianco murders, for the Manson family. They had nothing to do with it. What are you talking about? Yeah, no, no kidding. They had nothing to do with it. And these Republicans that the Biden administration, through their proxy of Martha Raddatz of ABC News, had nothing to do with it either. Just listen. You talk about the border wall. You talk about open borders. I don't think I've ever heard President Biden say, we have an open border. Come on over. But people I have heard say it are you, are former President Trump, or Ron DeSantis. That message reverberates in Mexico and beyond. So they do get the message that it is an open border and smugglers use all those kinds of statements. (laughs) Now, first of all, you shouldn't conduct an interview in a wind tunnel. Whoever the sound guy is should be fired because her microphone is poorly placed and uh, it's getting battered by wind. She wasn't being attacked by a bear there, although she should have been. But you love that. I haven't heard Joe Biden say the borders are open. I've heard Republicans say that the borders are open. And therefore, the cartels and the smugglers, they use that and say, oh, Republicans have declared the border. The president of the United States is the one who's control of the border. It doesn't matter what any other human being on the planet says. There is no context in which a Republican says the border is open. 
So come on in, the water's fine. It's never followed up with that. It's never like uh, the border's wide open. So what are you waiting for? Come to lovely South Texas. Pointing out that there's a problem is it's a, it's a chicken and egg scenario, apparently, in Martha Raddatz's head. Well, saying that the border is open caused the border to be open or something like that. Well, no, no, no. The border actually being open caused the border to be open. The border surge is caused by the border actually being open. That's It's not somebody pointing it out. But she's trying to absolve the president. I never heard the president say the border is open. Well, he's not going to give a speech. He's not going to go into the State of the Union address and go, ladies and gentlemen, the southern border is wide open for business. Come one, come all, come everybody. Surge to the... Wait, no, he will say that. He did say that, not in the State of the Union. He said it during the primary. Yeah. You want to talk about stupidity reverberating off the canyons of South and Central America, Martha Raddatz. Maybe you should consider following the news. We go back to 2019, one of the Democratic debates, one of the early debates, when it was a woke-off, it was trying to out-left-wing each other. See, most people during a primary will go to the extreme or at least towards the edge to try because those are the people who are going to vote in a primary. And then they come back for the general election. Joe Biden never did. Joe Biden doesn't believe in anything except that he wants to be president. He is the perfect combination of arrogance and ignorance. And uh, that's it. That's all he cares about is the trappings of being president. So when he said so, he didn't believe it when he said it. He probably doesn't believe it now, but he doesn't believe the opposite either. He doesn't believe in anything other than he should be president of the United States because it's a pretty neat, fun gig. So here's Joe Biden during the primary telling all the illegal aliens that were being kept at bay by the Trump administration and the enforcement of the laws to surge to the border. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. You should come. Surge to the border. Come on, let's do this thing. Everybody in. Ali Ali Oxen free. Last one in's a rotten egg. But Martha Raddatz, I never heard anybody say that the border is open. You don't have to say the border is open when you're telling people to search it, when you're telling people to come, and when you tell border enforcement, do not enforce the border. You also don't need to tell people to run to the border, enter the country illegally, when everybody who leaves your village is still in the United States. See, phones work. They come to the U.S., they enter illegally, and they call back to their friends and go, oh, man, it was easy. We got right. We came in. They arrested us. They said, "What are you doing?" I said, uh, "I'm scared for my life." And they said, "All right, promise me that in three years you'll show up to court." And I said, "Yeah, totally, absolutely, I swear." And then they let us go. They gave me a cell phone. They gave me a plane ticket or a bus ticket. They shipped me to wherever the hell I wanted to go. It was awesome. And guess what? They go, "All right, I'm going to go too." You know what would send the opposite message? You know what would stem the tide? Is somebody leaves their village and then they're back in their village a month later. They go, hey, hey, Julio, what happened? I thought you were going to the U.S. Yeah, I got there and they threw me out. Yeah, and I paid 10 grand to these smugglers and they threw me right out. Can you believe that? 
That sucks. And by the way, the smugglers didn't give me back my ten grand. Now the guy who's up to eight grand in his savings, trying to get to that ten grand so he can make the trip, would go. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give my money to these smugglers. Uh, as soon as I get there, there's a really good possibility I'm going to be chucked back home, and no refunds, no backsies. So to hell with it. I guess I'll have to try and improve this crappy country in which we live. Because really, all they're fleeing is economics all they do is they want jobs i don't blame them they want jobs they want a better life build a better life where you are fix your country all the people who want better lives leaving a country guess what that leads to a whole bunch uh, a country with nobody really who gives a damn left in it that empowers strong men that empowers the evil corporations and will go down and exploit the workers and blah 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 all the things democrats claim to care deeply about, but don't really. They just pay lip service to. It's amazing because you hear Democrats now say, well, we need comprehensive immigration reform. We We have a broken border. We have a broken system. There are certainly things that could be improved in our immigration system, no doubt. But it's not broken. It's just not enforced. Worked pretty well under the Trump administration. Illegal immigration had slowed to a trickle. You're never going to be able to completely stop it, but it had slowed to a trickle if you actually wanted to stop it. Democrats don't want to stop it. They want to get everybody in and then declare amnesty and follow that up with voter registration forms. Oh, you're talking about the great replacement theory. No, I'm quoting Democrats back to them. These are their priorities. These weren't their priorities as recently as like 2007, 2008. It's weird. But around then, the Democrats went further left than the country ever imagined itself going. And so suddenly they needed an influx of new voters. They can only fool stupid people for so long. They're still trying. They're working on it. But they can only fool stupid people for so long. They need new blood. They've devised the perfect way to get it under the banner of compassion by being wildly uncompassionate. It's pretty gross, actually. A quick note about the World Cup, because I have, you know, I got my issues with soccer, but we did witness probably the greatest final ever. Now, I don't, I didn't watch all the finals ever, but I I made a point of watching this one because I wanted, is one of those times where uh, what I hoped would happen, I didn't bet on it, but I, where I'd hoped would happen, would ha- it did happen. That uh, I thought Mbappe is certainly the future. Kylian Mbappe is the future of soccer. But Lionel Messi is uh, probably the great. My God, the, what he does with the ball is amazing. So it was a great game. I'm sitting there watching this thing like, oh, Argentina's got this thing in the bag. They're up 2 nothing. Nobody ever comes back from 2 nothing. Hell, they barely ever score any goals. I was the cynical person that I am sitting there watching this thing. And I think, well, it's over one to nothing. Like uh, Argentina's got got a good shot at it. Now two nothing. Forget it. It's over. And then 10 minutes to go. France scores two inside of like 93 seconds. Are you kidding me? That never happens. That's, that's hockey. It rarely happens in hockey, but it's much more likely to happen in hockey than it is in soccer. And they did it like, holy crap. So you go to extra time. And then Argentina again, messy amazing goal like oh man that's it argentina has done it <laughs> right before it ends here comes france another one penalty kick 
All right, going into penalty kicks. Now, they, the rules are the rules. I think that the rule of being the games like that being settled by penalty kicks rather than attrition, stamina, and frankly, how many people have uh, CPR performed on them on the sidelines is the way to go. But, you know, these are the rules. And it was just amazing. And you feel bad. Frank Macron, the president of France, was there, obviously because he was hoping France would win. But it was really awkward that, like, Macron, you're there, all right? You're there. France loses. Stay off the field, all right, pal? Your team lost. Instead, he's up there with all the other, like, the, the guy from FIFA and the people from Dubai. They're giving out the medals. And there's this little French guy congratulating the Argentinians. And they're like, why the hell are you here? I don't know if the president of Argentina was there or not. If he was, they not, no announcer ever said, hey, that's the guy from the Argentinian government. Nobody ever said that. But Macron being there was just weird. Like, it was such a political move, such a politician's move. Kylian Mbappe... Are definitely the future of soccer. Twenty some twenty going to be twenty four years old. I think this week already won the World Cup four years ago. So it's hard to feel completely bad for him. He's already got one under his belt. But he's sitting there, and Macron keeps like patting him on the back and patting him on the head and patting him on the neck and hugging him. And is like, dude, enough. All right, we get it. We get it. You're there. You're trying to get uh, glory by proxy. Or whatever. Just let the guy alone. You didn't break a sweat watching this game. Okay? But it was an excellent, excellent game. If you didn't watch it, you missed out. And I don't say that about... like I enjoy British Premier League soccer. But I will admit that a lot of times it is watching paint dry. A lot of times it's watching paint dry. I like sporting events where the, the stakes are high. Where things matter. And that aspect of it 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 heightens the intensity so yeah i liked that great great game uh the uh, january 6th panel the 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 sound you're hearing the crying off in the distance isn't the reverberations of people faking their soccer injuries to get uh, a foul called it's coming from washington dc right next to that giant sucking sound the january 6th committee yeah, I know. Calm down. Stop crying. The January 6th committee is coming to an end. <laughs> All the impact that it made. Associated Press. The House January 6th committee is wrapping up its investigation on the violent 2021 U.S. Capitol insurrection, with lawmakers expected to cap one of the most exhaustive and aggressive congressional probes in recent memory with an extraordinary recommendation. The Justice Department should consider criminal charges against former President Donald Trump. Is anybody out there shocked that this would be the end result? This was the purpose of this. Democrats knew they were likely to lose the House. It was about damaging Donald Trump as much as humanly possible. Now, the president, I think, damaged himself a lot with NFTs, for one thing. But this is absurd. This was a waste of taxpayer time and money. It was a a show, a nonstop show, where they hired, literally hired a Hollywood producer to come in and put this together. The public hearings, as they were, were not hearings in any way, shape, or form. There really should be a deep dive done about Democrats and how they put on a show. They did not in any way, shape, or form inform the public. 
at all. It was not about discovering anything they did in public. It was about highlighting in a way most favorable to Democrats what they discovered in private. Now, what do I mean by uh, highlighting what they discovered? Well, they released little snippets of video. They have hours of testimony from people, and you've probably seen between 10 and 45 seconds of testimony from each person who testified before the January 6th committee. You saw it in a context set up expressly, usually by Lynn Cheney or Liz Cheney, whichever Cheney it was. Who cares? Liz Cheney, I think. Doesn't matter. She's done. She lost her job. She's bitter. She's on her way out the door and she'll get a she'll be a contributor to she'll probably go to one of the broadcast networks and be a contributor to their Sunday shows and maybe their morning show. She'll get a good seven-figure deal. You don't throw yourself on your sword. Democrats do reward turncoats, do reward frauds. They need, look, and the name Cheney is gold. She milked it. She certainly didn't accomplish anything to win her her house seat. So it wouldn't be a big surprise that she milks it to get a a contract with, with television as well. But this was all about presenting things in a way most favorable to them. She'd go, oh, this happened and then so-and-so. And then here's Ivanka Trump with seven seconds of saying, we weren't really sure what was going on, but we knew that it had to stop. Boom. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, in what context was that said? Don't know. They not only didn't release the full video of those testimonies, they didn't release the full transcripts of those testimonies either. Why? Because they don't want you to have the context. They don't want you to know. Once Republicans take over, I imagine this will all become public at that point. But what does it matter? You have to understand how media works. The truth, sadly, doesn't matter at all. Nobody gives a damn about the truth. It's about being first. It's about the narrative. It is about setting the tone. People's first impressions are what they remember. After that, you're trying to convince people to change their minds. And that's tough to do. Why do you think last week six leftist propagandists with press credentials were temporarily suspended from Twitter for spreading mis- and disinformation, for past deeds of doxing, for being BS artists. They all knew it was temporary. Everybody knew it was temporary. Yet every left-wing journalist on the platform said, what, this is an outrage. How dare they? We can't live without the, the musings of Aaron Rupar or Ben Collins or Taylor Lorenz or whoever. We can't, Drew Harwell, we can't live without their... Yes, you can. None of you said damn thing about uh, the New York Post being banned, the oldest newspaper in the country, for a story that ended up being true. None of you ever gave a damn about that. But some propagandist who's on your team is an affront to democracy. It's weird. They suddenly become free speech absolutists once their speech is uh, something for which they're held accountable. Can't even say threatened because it wasn't something for which they're held accountable. No, no. So why would they go absolutely crazy over these six propagandists being temporarily suspended on Twitter? Temporarily suspended on Twitter. Because they're part of the echo chamber. 
They're part of the echo chamber that constantly functions. Look at these accounts. Look them up if they haven't blocked you already for being mean to them. And you will see an, a swirl, if you will. It's like a swirl around a toilet bowl. One of them tweets something. They all tweet a variation of that. One of them breaks a story, quote unquote, which is really just they reprint a press release from the Democratic National Committee or they they see a tweet and write a story. Oh, this tweet, somebody said this on Twitter and they all do their own version of it. It is the uh, the eye of the storm. It is an echo chamber. It's nonstop. They feed themselves. Now, that exists not because of a lack of originality, or at least not exclusively. None of these people are great thinkers. None of these people are original thinkers in any way, shape, or form. They are very good dogs, the very definition of very good dogs. They'll do exactly what they told. They would have made amazing Nazis. But what they do is reinforce one another, that when something does happen, they're all in place to echo whatever it is the narrative of the moment is. I promise you, we had that shooting in Colorado Springs, what, a month ago? And there are Ben Collins, NBC News. He made a name for himself. He became a Twitter celebrity because he said, he went on Morning Jones, this is horrible. There's safe spaces. You can't even go to a safe space anymore in Colorado Springs, a place that's made for acceptance. You can't do that because of this Republican rhetoric about trans people and drag queens shaking their genitals in the faces of children. That's caused this murder. Like, really? Dude, that's, there's no proof of that. And then it turns out a day later, we find out that the killer, the alleged killer was, is non-binary. He's a member of the, the Alphabet Mafia. And that just goes away. Ben Collins doesn't, I think he sent one tweet about it. Well, the lawyer says he's non-binary. We'll see. There were a couple of stories about how we don't really believe that story, which you're not allowed to do to anybody else. I guess you can question the sexuality of murderers, depending on who the murderer targeted. Not, you know, murderers and, you know, of normal people who then declare themselves to be women and want to be put in women's prisons. They have to be moved in the name of compassion. But everybody else, that is different. But why does that matter? Because Ben Collins's rant, Ben Collins's diatribe is out there in the ether. It was retweeted and amplified by all of these people countless times in that 24-hour period before everybody learned that it was BS. It's still bouncing around social media as low-information voters and simply put dumb people in bots, re-amplify it, keep going, but the vast majority of people who saw it in those 24 hours, first of all, if you're inclined to follow Morning Joe and Ben Collins and Taylor Lorenz and all these left-wing outlets and left-wing activists with press credentials, if you're inclined to follow them, you are ready to believe. You are ready to believe. And so you saw this and you go, well, there it is. Those Republicans, those damn Republicans. Donald Trump and those Republicans, Ron DeSantis down there saying, don't wave your genitals in front of children's faces. They're responsible for this shooting. What a bunch of jerks. And then you tune out to the story. So when 24 hours later, the truth comes out. Oh, my God, this guy's a member of the tribe. You're not going to hear that because those same people you follow are going to say, well, uh, he says this. We don't know. We're not sure. And then they never talk about the subject again. Which one do you think made a more of an impression? 
a tweet with a video of Ben Collins getting teared up about how evil Republicans are killing trans people across the country. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Or a tweet saying he says he's non-binary. We shall see. With no picture at all, no story to back it up. Which one do you think leaves a longer impression, a deeper divot? We know the answer. That's why they got so upset that these people got banned. Because in case something happened, look, the January 6th committee is out. They're getting ready to say, prosecute Trump. They need that echo chamber. The initial round of stories are Donald Trump committed crimes, according to the January 6th committee. Not, you know, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, except for a Republican. And go, Donald Trump is guilty of crime, but they'll put it in quotation marks in the headline. People will see the headlines, prosecute Donald Trump, and that'll be the impression that people are left with. They needed every member of that echo chamber to make it complete. They want, look, a satellite network works with a few satellites out of commission at a time. It works better with every satellite involved. That's what these people are, except they're not circling the truth. They're circling a pile of crap, but they're amplifying it. It works. They have a system down and they need every Borg in the cube. They need every bee in the hive. They need every ant in the hill in order to function at their peak. And this is a slow news time. Now is the time for them to strike. They can have the most impact because there's not much else distracting people if you're following news. What it ends up being, as far as the truth goes, doesn't matter. They've only got a limited window in which to make the impression and make the impression stick. That's why they need all hands on deck. It's that simple. Not, it's not a conspiracy theory if it's true and has been proven true time and time again. And, it's, and the more they scream, conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory, the, the closer you are to the target, I think. We're bullseye on this one. So we've got other news, and you watch these people, and you, I'm just looking up the White House transcript. I was curious if they doctored the transcript about Joe and his uncle, but no, they put it up so far. They haven't doctored it. White House hasn't commented on Joe's lies about his uncle, but it's just uh, its only a matter of time to watch this crap take hold. Well, speaking of uh, crap taking hold, Rachel Levine I do not understand the left's... It, it's not compassion. It's not compassion. The left is so desperate to circle the wagons around people, oh, the trans community. They're very concerned about the trans. They're not concerned about kids at all. They're not concerned about anything else at all. It's somehow the trans community, I don't know what they've got on Democrats, but they've got something on them and it is uh it's got to be good because they're prostrating themselves they're prostituting themselves in a way that is uh, shocking weird unbelievable they're denying who knows what a woman is really you don't know what a woman no anybody could say who knows what a man is who's to say what anything a gender is a Anything, and it's whatever you declare yourself to be. What kind of an idiot 
thinks this. I get why children do. They're children. They're stupid. And you shouldn't indulge children's stupidity, encourage their imagination. But once they start insisting that they're riding their unicorn on the weekends, you might want to say, well, no, you're not. There's no no such thing as unicorns. You can, you can sit there and really pretend and play with your Barbies all you want and create whatever world you want. But Barbie ain't talking back to you, okay? It's a G.I. Joe is not talking back to you. Yet that is where we find Rachel Levine. Rachel Leland Levine. God, it is so pathetic. It's four-star. This dude is... Um, they've, they've ripped... I'm trying to find his name. I don't know what the hell his name is. It's not, uh, not up there anymore. Even Wikipedia doesn't even pretend that he was born as a man. Wikipedia entries, Rachel Leland Levine is an American pediatrician who has served as the United States Assistant Secretary of Health since March 26, 2021. She is also a four-star admiral in the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps, which is fake. It's garbage. But there the dude is, dressed up as a woman and wearing a military uniform, four-star admiral. Honest to God, anybody with self-respect wouldn't do that, but somebody who is full of themselves does. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, what is this person doing? This person is spending their time. Now, what does the uh, assistant secretary for health do? Who knows? After, you know, just being paraded around going, look, we've got another trans person. And, you know, Rachel Levine's stock went up in the Biden administration, now that the uh, the other trans dude or the non-binary dude, the one uh, Sam, what's-his-face, went and stole the, uh, the luggage. Now there's fewer. Now Levine, Admiral Levine, has become even more valuable because they need a virtue signal. Until they can find another uh, mentally confused, sexually ambiguous person who has a history of porn of themselves online like the guy they fired for stealing the uh, the suitcases until they can find somebody to replace that rachel levine's you know one of a few now that's what democrats care that's historic him and uh, karine jean pierre who is a lesbian celebrated for that certainly not how well she does the job because she sucks at being press secretary god she's terrible terrible at being i've never seen anybody not be able to read from a briefing book, quite like Karine Jean-Pierre can't read from a briefing book and make it sound believable. And I say this as a dyslexic. Anyway, Rachel Levine's job seems to be to spend an inordinate amount of time advocating for kids to be sexually butchered. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it. That seems to be what it is. That's what this dude does. Is what he spends his whole time on. Now, this, I believe, is along the lines of somebody who's like, look, I need to justify my existence. I'm not crazy. I am legitimate. I am totally a woman. Therefore, anybody who declares themselves to be a woman, even if they're a man, is a woman. And it doesn't matter at what age. You're, you're trans at any age. And everybody knows. And blah, 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 blah. And you're sitting there and you're going, what kind of crap is this? This is left-wing propaganda. It's what it is. It's how these people function. So at an event over the weekend, without a sense of irony, Rachel Levine is talking about transitioning. 
Now, he didn't transition until he's in his 50s, all right? Transition. In transition. He didn't declare himself to be a woman till he's in his 50s, right? So this whole, uh, I'm Rachel Levine, I'm a woman, hear me roar, was uh, new. Because he's not, uh, let's see, it was transition in 2011. 2011. That's pretty late in life for somebody who's 65 years old. Probably a shock to his wife, a shock to his kids, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It's declared and therefore it must be. So at this event, while still, I love how these people insist they're the most comfortable in their skin they've ever been. They're totally comfortable. Who are you to judge? And they spend all of their time trying to justify their existence when nobody really gives a damn. Right? Nobody cares. It's not what you do to yourself. Go ahead, butcher yourself. I don't care. It's that you're actively encouraging children to butcher themselves. And that's what Rachel Levine was doing, was actively encouraging and most likely, you know, and more accurately, bullying parents into allowing children to butcher themselves. Essentially trying to use his position and the power of the federal government to override parents the common sense they have when it comes to caring for their children by saying you can't, if you question it, if you don't, you are the problem if you dare go against what we say here. So listen to this, because he says, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, now he's keeping in mind, he's encouraging the sterilization essentially, chemical castration of children, the surgical altering of children's reproductive organs, while saying, I'm so glad I didn't do that because I wouldn't have my kids. Now, what do we hear from trans... Well, I'll tell you after. And then, you know, my transition was very different because for many reasons, professional and mostly personal reasons, I transitioned over 10 years. Okay? Most people don't take that long to transition. First of all, young people are not willing to do that anymore. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if I, was 50, if I was 15 now, I don't know if I would have taken so long, but, but again, when I was 15, what were you going to say and who would you tell and how would you possibly express that? But um, so the, the language started about, you know, and that was now 20 years ago um, when I started, when I kind of started this journey. And it was starting to become more in culture and the internet and support groups, etc. So, um, uh, so I took a long time. Um, I don't regret uh, any of that, any of that. But I have no regrets because if I transitioned when I was young, and I wouldn't have my children. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a life without my children. And so every experience led me to here. And um, uh, and so how could I regret that? How could I regret that? I have my children. What are you doing when you're saying a 13-year-old should be given puberty blockers that are irreversible or have top surgery or bottom surgery or whatever, gender-affirming care? What are you doing? You are ensuring that at the age of 13 or 15 or whatever it is that they will never be able to have children. Do you not see the irony in that? Do you not give a damn? About that, I don't think he gives a damn about that. He doesn't care. Not about him. It's about the agenda, Uber Alice. Do you imagine an adult human being sitting there going, "Well, you know what? We've got to. I wouldn't have my children if I had transitioned earlier." Well, you're either born a woman in a man's body, or you're not born a woman in a man's body. 
Is it a choice? Because it's my understanding you're not allowed to say it's a choice, right? You're not allowed to, because if it's a choice, then you go, why are you making this choice? So you lived a lie your whole life, is what you're saying. But you're glad you lived that lie because you have kids now, but you want to deny other. Now, what do you hear, number one thing, from everybody who detransitions? From everybody who detransitions. And we don't know how many people are detransitioning. Why? Because you're not really allowed to talk about them. Certainly not. They're not going to be given a public forum where Dr. Rachel Levine will be sitting there and talking to them about their detransition or anything like that. No way. They're not allowed to do that. The left-wing media doesn't even really acknowledge that these people exist. The Navy SEAL who's detransitioning now was a media darling. Uh, might as well not exist now. The dude doesn't exist. Why? Because he's no longer helpful to the narrative. So they move on. So what, do you, what is the number one complaint or concern of regret from people who detransition? Whether it doesn't matter how far they went, whether they just chemically altered their body, blocked nature from taking its course, or they uh, surgically altered it. They went that far. It doesn't really matter. The number one regret is I'm not going to be able to have children. I'm not going to be able to carry children. I'm not going to be able to father children. I'm not going to be able to breastfeed children, whatever it is, because they've had certain parts of their bodies butchered, altered, or removed. And here's Rachel Levine going, hey, man, I'm so glad I didn't do this earlier in life because otherwise I wouldn't have my kids. Maybe you should pump the brakes on other kids, on kids in general, because there's no way kids could really do and make informed decisions. No, that doesn't matter. You've got Rachel Levine releasing videos regularly. Again, an assistant secretary for health and uh, the Department of Health and Human Services insisting that gender affirming care is health care. It's wildly. These are the same people who tell you that abortion is health care. Abortion is is in no way healthcare. Abortion is, at best, if you're just being dry about what it is, it is um, inconvenience removing, if that's the way you want to look at it, for Democrats. It's really, you know what, I, it's going to cramp my lifestyle, affirming care. But a 13-year-old being put on hormone blockers or a 15-year-old being surgically altered permanently, irreversibly, doesn't matter what they promise you. They can, they can remake certain things. It's not, they can't make them work. They can re, re, once you have the top surgery, that's it. Game over. Can't do transplants. Can't do rebuilds. They can rebuild things so there's something there. But it will never function. Never, ever, ever function. Not the way they were intended by nature. And so uh, you've got to be sure of this. Think about any life-altering decision you've ever made. Now imagine how you would have handled that scenario at the age of 15. And recoil in horror at people like Rachel Levine or the entirety of the Democratic Party. I was going to say the Biden administration, but it's the entirety of the Democratic Party insisting that teenagers be allowed to make those decisions and government inserted in place of parents.
Think about that. That's where these people are coming from. And they're celebrated. They're given jobs expressly for that reason. They're given awards expressly for that reason. Pretty gross, if you ask me. Shifting gears, there's, there's something on the internet. It was a stand-up comedian. I don't remember the guy's name. It doesn't really matter the guy's name. He's not... Uh, I don't think he's a super popular comedian. And the clip of him is... Uh, since we are in the Christmas season. The clip of him is... Uh, it's vulgar. Not because he's vulgar but because of the song that he's quoting from is vulgar the song is uh wap w-a-p i and i can't even tell you what that stands for i know you know it just it it's everything you'd possibly imagine and he was talking about christmas song the uh, baby it's cold outside baby it's cold outside is being banned because the left is saying, wow, there's, uh, it's too rapey. It's awfully rapey. What with this guy trying to convince this woman to stay the night? It's because it's cold outside. Like, oh, and he's, oh, they're drinking and she's clear. I mean, you really have to have no life and probably have never kissed a girl to really get this into, my God, baby, it's cold outside is super rapey. But that's, that's where the left is. I mean, look at your average leftist. The odds of them ever having actually kissed a girl are pretty slim to none. But it is uh, what it is. But at the same time, that was raging. The debate and every, I guess it happens every sort of Christmas. As somebody plays Baby It's Cold Outside and some leftist clutches their pearls and goes, How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? You have a situation where... The songs that are on the charts are disgusting, are misogynistic, are wildly sexist, are incredibly graphic about do this to me and then do that to me and do the other. And you're like, what the hell is this stuff? And then you read the lyrics of Baby It's Cold Outside and you go, people are upset about this. People are upset about Baby It's Cold Outside. But what actually charts, what actually gets played on the radio, although every third word is beeped out because you can't say it on the radio, is filthy. It sounds like, and some of these song lyrics, I'm not all fuddy-duddy. I kind of laugh at some of them, and I don't really, I wouldn't let my children listen to them, but I do get a kick out of the fact that people are dumb enough to sort of embrace this kind of music, if you can call it music. I look at that and I think, these people are idiots, yet they're making a fortune. And then you go, the people whining and complaining about Baby It's Cold Outside probably have this stuff on their phone. Probably scream like a woo-woo girl. Everybody knows a woo-woo girl. It's a woo-woo girl. It's somebody who stands on the bar, at at a bar, and woo, and it just doesn't matter. They get drunk enough and they're standing on the bar and they're screaming. And Everybody knows somebody like that. Most of you have probably dated. Most of you guys have probably dated somebody like that at least once, and you live to regret it. But it's just hilarious to think about that. Baby, it's cold outside causes outrage and pearl clutching, and oh my goodness, what are we going to do? While the actual literal lyrics about basically sexual assault and gross porn movies are, are celebrated and win Grammys. 
I'm sitting here reading, uh, while I'm doing the show, I'm reading the, the news. That's the beauty of my setup. They have two TVs going, so I got the CNN and Fox in case something breaks, two iPads, two computers with, uh, on average, two browsers in this one. There's probably about 50 different tabs opened. And all sorts of other things going on in front of me, bells and whistles. And it makes doing anything a lot easier to have it all at your, your fingertips. And then the weirdest thing will come along and distract you. If you're a parent out there, this this if your kids are older, I imagine you've been through this. But there's nothing more terrifying, more horrifying than a sick kid. So I see in the New York Post, Jake Tapper's daughter, Alice, almost died after being misdiagnosed. And you sit there and you go, what? Alice Tapper, a 15-year-old, last year or earlier this year, in the hospital with severe abdominal pain. And nobody was taking her seriously. They said, well... Since she's tender all over instead of just on one particular side, they thought it wouldn't be appendicitis. So it's got to be a viral infection. And so they just gave her Tylenol. They kept her in the hospital, but they gave her Tylenol. And she wrote this op-ed on, on CNN.com, but she like, gave her Tylenol. It kept getting worse. The parents kept asking, what about this? What about that? What about the other? Why don't we get a gastroenterologist? And this is one of the most frustrating things about dealing with the medical profession is you sit there and you, you say, well, how about this question? How about this? And they, they always find ways to go, you don't need that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the other thing. Oh, we've got this handled. And you always hear about, on one side, when I was doing health policy at the Heritage Foundation, you hear about the, uh, the over-precautions that medic, people in the medical professionals do. They order tests that aren't necessary. Oh, you got insurance, so let's just test. We're afraid of, it's defensive medicine is what they call it. We'll order all sorts. Maybe you're pregnant. We don't know. Maybe you identify as a woman and somehow you've managed to get pregnant. We'll just do a, a pregnancy test. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do the other thing. Because why not? And you, you sit there and you go, that seems weird, but okay. But then when it comes to other things, the medical professional is a profession is sometimes widely dismissive about things. One time when, when Quinn was sick last year, abdominal pain and what have you, and she hadn't, she'd been, she was constipated essentially. I uh, took her to the clinic and she was like, Oh yeah, dismissive, dismissive, dismissive. Probably don't worry if she doesn't poop by tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And sent her home, sent us home, and she gets home and, and she throws up. Now, one of the signs of serious problem is throwing up. Things not coming out one way, they come out the other way. So I immediately went back up there and s- demanded that they give her an x-ray. They didn't want to give her, I wasn't in there the first time, I was in the parking lot. And I demanded that they give them an x-ray because of co- stupid COVID protocols. I was much more assertive. My wife is five foot four, and uh, me being six foot five, and I say we want an X-ray. Uh, I think people are more inclined to, you know, do what I say or do what I ask. It's it's one of the few conveniences. That and reaching was in the grocery store the other day, and some guy asked me to reach something off the top shelf. And he said, "It's good to be tall." And I said, "Not when it comes to buying clothes." But you can reach stuff. So I got the x-ray, and she was stopped up pretty bad. And then we ended up having to take her to the hospital. It wouldn't have happened, and who knows what would have happened. It took like three days for her to get right. And it was a horrible three days. 
And uh, I don't know that we would have done that if she hadn't thrown up. And we might not have known. I mean, eventually she would have thrown up, but it wasn't because the doctors didn't move heaven and earth. In movies, they're all like, oh, my God, we'll do anything for our patients. We will not stop. We will do it. That's not always how it works. Or you can sit there and be cynical and go, well, they'll bail the hell out of anything. They've got, they can bill your insurance for it. Well, no. It turns out that Jake Tapper's daughter did not have a burst appendix. Let's see. They asked for a gastroenterologist, but no one ever came. The doctors kept telling them they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And because her dad is Jake Tapper, and I don't blame Jake Tapper for this at all, but because her dad is Jake Tapper, He was able to get the hospital administrator on the phone and demand something be done. And they said, oh, yeah, okay, you're Jake Tapper. Now, how many people can get it? How many Joe Schmoes could get a hospital administrator on the phone? Probably not many. Now, the only it wasn't because, oh, my God, I'm such a he's the administrator, such a huge fan of Jake Tapper. It's because the administrator is sitting there going, oh, crap, if Jake Tapper goes on the air and complains about this hospital. We're in trouble. I could lose my job. Sad that that's what it takes. Well, they got an ultrasound. And it turned out she had a perforated appendix that was leaking toxic fluids into her internal organs, and she was rushed into emergency surgery. Yeah, she was going into sepsis. She was going into hemopolovimic, I don't know how to pronounce that word, shock, which can cause organs to stop working. If... Her father, Alice's father, had not been Jake Tapper. The odds of her getting this surgery early enough without it being not necessarily going to be fatal, but odds of it being done early enough were pretty thin. She didn't have an appendicitis, an appendix tag. It was a leak. She later had her appendix removed at a different hospital. And can you blame her? But it's sick. It's really, really sick that this is what the medical profession is. So I'm sitting here, I'm telling you, you're sitting there looking at Rachel Levine. They are very, very quick to insist on action in one aspect of the medical profession, but not in others. Ones that really matter. Honestly, I've, my dad is dealing with health problems, as I've talked about openly. And it's tough to like, hey, can we get an extra? Hey, can we get an update? Hey, can we do this? Hey, can we do... Now, granted, he's decided not to get treatment. Still trying, hoping that he'll change his mind on that. But from a matter of, okay, let's figure things out. Because they don't give you any information. They just say, oh, well, it's not going to end well. Well, it doesn't. On a long enough timeline, it doesn't end well for anybody. Okay, can we just be honest? It doesn't end well for anybody but to give some kind of perspective it's good to know if you're sitting here trying to convince somebody to get treatment um and they don't want it or they won't do it or whatever you still you know how how hard do i have to push how quick do i have to go the medical profession is like it's it's paid for it's paid my dad was recently sick with uh pneumonia there's something going around. I don't know. You got pneumonia. And getting doctors to do certain things. They just said, well, it's bronchitis. Well, did you test him for bronchitis? Did you test him? Did you do an x-ray? Well, they had to go back because it didn't go away with the treatment for bronchitis. They had to go back and get the x-ray to find out that it was 
early stage, low grade pneumonia, and thankfully they got it fixed. But it's like, well, why the hell? Why didn't you do the x-ray machine? It's not like, you know, it's a five-day wait to get in front of that x-ray machine. It's down the hall in the clinic. Just do it. My father, you know, he's on Medicare, but he's also got UAW supplemental insurance. He's got Blue Cross. He's insured up the wazoo. It's not like, oh, well, we can't afford this or we've got to skip a couple of meals, which we would happily do in any event, even if it were the case. But it's also not like an x-ray is like, well, it's $27,000 for an x-ray. It's, that's not it. Take the damn x-ray. Let's get to the bottom of it. Why do you go, well, I think it's this. Let's treat him for this. All right, well, I was wrong about that. We lost a week. Let's try another thing. How about you just do it right the first time? Does that seem like too much to do? Hell, I'd use some defensive medicine. You get my kid sick, I'm a pain in the butt. You don't want me in my in your office when my kid is sick. <laughs> I could be bleeding. I don't care. My kid, different story altogether. I'll be your nightmare. Yeah, you don't want to stand between me and my kid getting medical care. I'm like the most annoying person in the world when I'm in the room with a doctor and one of the kids isn't feeling well. I've already diagnosed it. I have a friend who's a doctor, so I've already been on the phone with him and I'm like, hey, how about this? And how about that? And how about the other thing? And I make it clear that I'm not only going to badger you with a billion questions, I'm also going to go out in the car and call a doctor and I'll be back in here if it's not satisfactory. (laughs) I'm a terrible, terrible patient. But you know what? It's about getting results, isn't it? As we begin to wrap it up here, I want to play you this little bit because the left going crazy about uh, Twitter, social media. Democrats and Republicans have shifted position. It's really kind of funny to watch. I am of the belief that social media companies, if they decide to make editorial decisions like Twitter did, like the old Twitter regime did, against news stories like you know, the Hunter Biden story, they have decided that they are putting their, not even their thumb, they're putting their foot on the scale. That's that's enough. You're no longer just some sweet, innocent kiosk. You're not the the, uh, cork board at the end of the hall on each floor of the dormitory where anybody can put up a, we're looking for a bassist for our band. You've become a publisher. And Democrats dismiss that. That's ridiculous. They don't need, they need the protections. Uh, They're not publishers. They're just trying to filter out mis- and disinformation, according to Democrats. It's amazing what you can decide, what truth you can decide isn't truth, because it's wildly inconvenient if you're a political hack. It doesn't matter which party you're a member of. So Democrats were defending Twitter, whereas Republicans were criticizing Twitter. Turns out that history will record that Democrats were right because history will be written by leftists, but reality records that Republicans were right. Now that Elon Musk has purchased Twitter, and apparently he stupidly put up a poll over the weekend, if you, uh, should I step down as uh, CEO of Twitter, I'll abide by the findings. And this is how he's, this is how he unbanned Trump. This is how he unbanned these journalists early and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the people said, yes, you should step down. So we'll see. He didn't say when or how quickly he'd step down. But I suspect that he's got 
somebody in mind. He's not stupid. I suspect this was for publicity. And, you know, he stepped down eventually. He was never going to run Twitter constantly. But he uh, has made some controversial moves. And what I mean by controversial moves is the way that controversial moves or controversy at all in general is used by our media. It means things contrary to what liberals want. That's what controversy means now. It's very controversial. Why? Well, because it's upset Democrats. Doesn't matter if it upsets Republicans. Republicans are upset or Republicans are pouncing when Democrats are upset or whatever. The story is never about Democrats. It's about Republicans or the Demo- or the Republicans' reaction to Democrats. So now it's considered controversial, the concept of free speech. The people who just ran an election campaign all about their support for democracy and how we don't support democracy and they're the defenders of democracy are terrified, petrified at the prospect of free speech as exercised by we plebes, I should say. Well, Adam Schiff, who's going to lose, he's the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, he's going to lose that job on January 3rd, as he should, and Republicans have said, at least Kevin McCarthy has said, they're going to strip him of his committee memberships because Democrats started that process and nobody leaks like Adam Schiff. Nobody leaks to the media like Adam Schiff. He lies to the media when he's on there and then he gets a pass and is never called out for his lies. Why? Because he's a source of information for them. They love him. They absolutely love him. So he was on CNN, Jake Tapper's show. I'm not sure if Jake was hosting or not. Doesn't matter. He's not in this clip. Talking about, suddenly he has issues with Twitter. He has issues with social media companies not being held accountable for the things that they publish, which is different. They're they're either publishers or they're kiosks. If they're kiosks, you can't be held accountable for what is on them. If they're publishers, then they can be held liable. If somebody says, Derek Hunter is a big poopy head, on Facebook, there's nothing I can do about it. I may or may not be a poopy head. Doesn't matter. If I can prove I'm not a poopy head, that person still hasn't attacked me or that Facebook hasn't slandered me with that because they're just a kiosk. They're just the corkboard. The person I could go after, but the platform I can't. The protections afforded these social media companies are that. And you can argue all day long whether or not that's good or not. Democrats were arguing that these companies deserve these protections. Now that they don't control one, one of these platforms, just one, they control all the rest of media. One platform comes out and says, no, we're going to allow free speech. Then suddenly Schiff is like, we need to get rid of these protections. These companies must be held accountable for what goes on on them. I think we've got a big problem right now with social media companies and their failure to moderate content and the explosion of hate on Twitter, um, the banning of journalists on Twitter. Um, I don't think these companies should enjoy an immunity from liability when they behave this way. Uh, you know, we can't tell them what to say or not say, but we, we gave them immunity. We said, if you'll be responsible moderators of content, uh, we will give you immunity. They haven't been. So why should they continue to enjoy that immunity from, from responsibility and liability? <laughs> you got to love that. We told them we would give them immunity if they were responsible moderators of content. 
which means doing the Democrats' bidding. They have not been. They are not now. They are no longer doing our bidding. Therefore, they no longer deserve these protections. Get in line or we'll destroy you. Get in line, obey, or we will destroy you. They don't believe in anything except their own power. They don't believe in anything except for their own glory. That is it. Period. End of story. People are genuinely sick and disturbed people. This guy was in charge of oversight of the intelligence community. The intelligence community was actively spying on not only Donald Trump, but people in the Trump administration, people in Trump's orbit, and Republicans in general. They have been targeting anybody and everybody who dares not only attend the January 6th rally and didn't go anywhere near the Capitol. They have been going after anyone who was critical of school boards across the country, equating them with domestic terrorists. And this guy, this guy, Adam Schiff, was in charge of oversight of them in the House of Representatives. Now, who do you think they were trying to please? They're trying to please the guy who oversees them, who has a big influence on their budgets. See how this works? One hand washes the other, or one hand fondles certain things, or whatever, however you prefer to think of it. Suddenly, they're singing a different tune after all being on the same song before. Now, it's it's not about principle. It's about their power. It always has been. That's it for today, ladies and gentlemen. To hell with everything. Let's call it a day and reconvene tomorrow to do it all over again. I appreciate you listening. Have a great one.